0: Drew and Meredith, welcome to this Australian Investors Podcast Two Cents episode.
1: Good to be here, as it always.
0: Is, it is very good. Um, there was a bit of a pause there, a bit of an awkward pause. <laughs> it's always hard to start, you know?
1: Definitely. Like, a, I mean, there's this cold Melbourne weather. It was a bit of a surprise when I was out there before.
0: Yeah. It's like kickstarting an old XR100 motorbike. Like, you're just like, come on, baby. <laughs> Not
1: quite ready. <laughs> we are recording on a Wednesday, which is probably just put me off a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's hump day. Everyone's just a bit confused. Um, what have you been working on? A
1: bit of everything, you ask me this every week and it always <laughs> bit puts average. me under pressure pretty yeah. quickly. I'm trying to work out what's going on in markets like everyone else. Whoa, what
0: an answer. About to head up to Sydney next week. Heading up to Sydney next week for Book the my flights. Yep, yeah, for the event Tuesday night. Yeah. If you haven't already got your tickets for you and friends and 10 friends, maybe get your tickets to the Sydney event Tuesday night, 5.30 pm. How many are we up to? Oh, I would have to be, I don't know, I think maybe 200 plus. Maybe I don't know exactly. Mel's probably going to shoot me down for that, but um,
1: you know I love a crowd,
0: right? Um, yeah, you do. <laughs> the ultimate entertainer, <laughs> the most confident public Top speaker bu- in history. <laughs> <laughs> Top two buttons down. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a uh, yeah. No, it's uh, it's going to be a great night, and we've got some really really wonderful speakers. Um, Plus us two uh, up on stage, <laughs> so it'll be a bit of fun, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. So it's the last of the ten Rask Roadshow events, mate. And then on the 26th of October, for anyone that is in Melbourne or wants to fly to Melbourne, there is a Waddle Partners retirement event. 26th of October afternoon yes. shift, isn't it? Afternoon
1: shift. I think it starts about two uh, thirty, three o'clock. Some drinks afterwards at the at La Meridian in the city. Oh, uh, I think we're capacity about 120, and we're up. I think we've got about 30. Seats left. Wow, and already. some investment speakers as well as retirement coach and yep, and us and us. <laughs> yeah, as, as always <laughs> we're
0: dragging ourselves along <laughs> to it. No, but it's going to be great, and that's free. So, uh, the, just to reiterate, the retirement event in Melbourne is free. There isn't another. There isn't at this stage. There isn't another one on the horizon. But we probably will have them next year. Uh, for the Rask event, this is the final Rask event of 2023. Some of you have also. I uh, realize we're doing a workshop the following day in Sydney for value investing. There aren't many tickets left to that. That's being that's taking place at the Magellan offices. It is a paid workshop, a full-day workshop. So please um, get your tickets basically now if you want to come to that next week. Um, bring your friends, bring your family to the events. It's great fun. So- There was, was big news outside of investments this week too, wasn't there? What was that? Brown the Medal. Oh, was that? That was on Monday night, wasn't it? Was Who Monday won? Night, I didn't yeah. even know.
1: I almost fell asleep before the end too. Who won? Tell me. Uh, Lockie Neal won. Oh, did he? As a bulldog supporter, there was uh, Marcus <laughs> Bontepelli came second. So, oh really? Raise that. Then we had the Premier League yeah,
0: yesterday. Uh, Dan Andrews, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, commiserations. Um. The massive, I mean, there's a
1: massive legacy lost, of um, infrastructure there. Like if you look at what Dan Andrew, Andrews be remembered for, it would be this massive infrastructure build that's or COVID. changed the city. Yeah, we we'll try to be positive. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we not to be political on here. But, you yeah. know, uh, level crossings, freeways, tunnels, it's a massive build over nine years.
0: Yeah, I think the thing is like a lot of people are focusing on the negative around the budget, but there has been a lot of spending. Like if, if you're in Victoria- and you do go down towards the peninsula and you start driving down the bay. Yeah. You see like the the railways above you know, it's above MMT ground. Anyway. It's incredible. MMT, modern yeah. monetary theory says true.
1: <laughs> as long as it's being used for productive capacity then it's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah. Um and traffic suggests it may not be.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, yeah, we have seen a lot. I think one of the things that gave me that gave me the irritants was the um probably like we didn't get that uh the proper freeway connection yeah, <laughs> in Melbourne. For East anyone that West knows Lincoln. Melbourne, <laughs> you just get to the end Every of the freeway. you're on the freeway, you just sit there go, oh, gosh. <laughs> you get into the freeway in Melbourne and it just goes nowhere. Like, it just stops <laughs> straight in the busiest part of the city. You're like, uh, where are we?
1: That's why uh, podcasts are so popular in Melbourne, not in Sydney. Yeah,
0: that's it, yeah. But um, no, 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 it's, there's been a lot of news. Um, I did speak to JP Morgan last week, uh, one of the Global Bond Fund Portfolio Managers, actually. And in the US, over in the US, um, they're expecting it's a when, not if, and a not imminent, but they think a recession is very, very close to certain.
1: It's a tough call though, isn't it? Like we've been talking mm-hmm. about a recession for at least 12 months and we're yeah. still waiting for it to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, hard, soft, however you like your tacos, same with recessions. <laughs> um, or no landing. Can you have no tacos? Yeah, you can have no taco. Yeah, you have no ta- carb you don't free? It. Yeah, carb <laughs> free. Um, but at the end of the day, like it- you know what they're expecting in the United States is that, you know, rates are pretty high over there, and they've gone higher recently. But it is having an impact. Yeah,
1: it's not looking great for me. Is it?
0: <laughs> the forecast, I'm not making a the doctors' on the, on the
1: Federal Reserve making a move, but yeah, bond yield. So the ten-year bond yield, which is basically the the risk-free rate that off which every other you know asset is valued, hit four point seven percent. So it hasn't been that high since immediately before the GFC hit mm. in October two thousand seven. So what does that mean? I mean, it, it means that, you know, valuations, whether it's property or shares, are probably at risk of falling further. Mm. Um, and then the market's telling us they expect interest rates to stay higher for longer and that inflation might be a, a more sustained problem. And all that came from the Federal Reserve chair and I think another another member of the Federal Reserve saying, we don't intend to cut rates in 2024. Mm. But then I naturally go back to what all of them said in 2020 and 2021, we don't see ourselves increasing rates. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Uh, look at this. (laughs) It's transitory. So it's kind of the role of the central bank is the communication. They're still trying to slow demand. Mm. So I think this is a big part of that. And naturally the share market and the bond market react immediately and quickly. But as you've seen, they adjust just as quickly. So if you see any bad Mm -hmm. news, bond yields will fall as fast
0: as they increase. I was actually reading something uh, yesterday. I think it was like the BlackRock long-term macro assumptions. And they do like three five ten years it's mainly for institutional readers only but there's one in the u.s and it showed that i think just going off the top of my head sorry blackrock it was like they expect bonds to the total return from bonds to be about four to five percent from memory but they said for small cap u.s equities about 5.4 percent over three or five years yeah and so if you think about. I think it was 4% versus 5.4%. So 4% from bonds, 5.4% from small cap equities. When you think about the share market and the risks involved, you're only getting 1.4% for the extra risk.
1: This is the whole, this is the whole challenge we have and when we meet people. And it sounds boring, but you can take less risk than ever. And you have mm. to be really justified in doing anything beyond cash or term deposits. And and all be taking a very long term view. You know, three term three years is pretty short.
0: In your portfolios at Waddle Partners, retirement wealth specialists, by the way, I might say. Um, in in your portfolios at Waddle, are you guys using any floating rate? Yeah, we're probably we were eighty percent floating
1: to twenty percent fixed until recently, yep. and then in twenty twenty three we made it fifty fifty. So we're half floating, half fixed. Yeah, and we're probably given yields. You know the the income you can get from a government bond is over 4% now. We're looking at increasing the uh, fixed rate more, which is somewhat contrarian or you yeah. know, the opposite of what a lot of people are talking about. But I think that just t- tells you we're taking a longer-term view and we also think if you can get 4.5% risk-free, uh, rates have to go up a lot more to lose much money on that.
0: It's interesting. Like One of the fastest-growing funds of the last year in ETF land is the GlobalX uh, Treasuries Fund. Yep. Which is actually down year over year, like six percent or something. Yeah, that's short term. No, this bonds. is long term, long, yeah, long like duration, five, three, five, ten years. Yeah, U.S. government yeah. bonds, and because rates have still gone up a little bit in the U.S., they're still losing. I think yep. the duration. We're going to get some geeky stuff out right now. <laughs> have a look at my toolbox, but here we see that duration was around about six, and interest rates have gone up. Maybe half that, maybe a bit more since then. So we've yeah. seen the portfolio fall about six. Yeah. So just so you know, for anyone that's listening and doesn't have a clue what that just meant, if you go onto a bond ETF's website or bond fund manager's website, they have something called effective duration. What that basically means is it's an assessment of the sensitivity of the fund to interest rate changes. So for example, if it's six... What that would mean is if if, if interest rates got 1%, you'd expect the bond portfolio to fall six percent.
1: And interest rates not being the cash rate that the RBA uses, yeah. but the bond yield, yeah. the prevailing bond yield. Exactly. Um of the similar term.
0: Yeah. So you can get a sense of like what it actually means. And so when you have long duration, like um you'll have 10-year government bonds, let's say that effective duration is eight, they're more sensitive than something that's got no duration at all, which would be like floating interest rates might be, a floating rate fund, a floating rate ETF might have a duration of what, like 0.2, meaning yeah. that it's basically immune to changes.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then if you see bond yields, uh, I mean, what we've seen, if there is a recession, what has happened in every recession is bond yields have fallen quickly. Yep. So they can fall from four and a half to two and a half in a, in a week or less if people are buying up bonds because they think it's going to offer protection or they want to get out of equities.
0: Yeah. And what we've seen is people starting to buy those bonds. Yep. And that's that was kind of my point and your point is like people are now starting to do that and they've been hurt in the short term because interest rates have still gone up, but you can see financial advisors, big institutional investors, slowly moving their money into fixed rate bonds. And I think
1: that's why the global X product so popular. Is there there aren't? I think there's only one other option to buy that sort of exposure. Mm. So people are more and more thinking about line by line the exposures within their portfolio rather than, yeah. than just buying a, a, a someone does all your asset allocation or they're thinking about they can add Australian government bonds and US government bonds separately.
0: Yeah, which is interesting because normally it would just be like VBND or like some of those big global diversified bond funds. So now you're getting, I know, I just want more US or I just want more, for whatever reason, you might be inclined to do this, Europe or whatever.
1: And there's a big story that came, which Animal Spirits were talking about when we were in LA, which is the issue, I think there was something like 30% of all government debt matures in the next, US government debt matures in the next, I think one to three years. Hmm. And if, you're, if you've got debt maturing that was you know, on a 3% interest rate and now you're offering it, you have to now raise it at 4.7 for a 10-year bond, mm. what impact is that going to have, one, on the government, on the economy, on policy going forward? Is, I mean, a lot of people think that that's a reason why interest rates will end up falling because the interest cost to the government will be too high. Mm. Then what happens that's, to inflation? It's deep. Then what happens to <laughs> inflation? <laughs> exactly. You need to take more money out of the economy, and essentially that's what you're going to be going to be doing. Yeah, because the government will spend less. Not that not that they're restricted to. Because I know Bill Mitchell will listen to the <laughs> to the podcast. They're not restricted to doing that, but it wouldn't surprise me if they do and they end up trying to run surpluses.
0: We should get Bill in here one day just to educate us on how all this stuff works. <laughs> I asked him. He's happy to. He's okay, in, he's in Japan, uh, okay. and he'll do it. Yeah, we can do a restream anytime. Okay, right. We're yeah. going to dial in. Um, okay, so I've got a question for you. Is everyone about to go broke because like? <laughs> household savings. This is one. I'm just going to pull this like one f- figure out of the air that I just look at a lot. Household savings is like negative, very low compared to like any average over the basically at any time leading up to like the GFC. At that time, household savings was quite low because the interest rates were like seven, eight percent or whatever. But um, household savings very low, coming off record peaks. Yeah, but I think the people that are spending, and we've gone
1: through this, I think Alan Kohler, uh, maybe oh, yeah. Salt put this out. singled out the boomers, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. But I think the household, like the, maybe the saving rate doesn't include the people who already have money. Yeah. Like they're not generating income. They're not getting income. Yeah, but they're the ones that are spending and creating inflation, thanks, boomers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just a bit of. But essentially, <laughs> I think that's what he was talking about with this idea that uh, the people who have significant savings are in retirement and are getting higher interest on their income, they've got more to spend and they're not included in the savings rate. Whereas the younger people with mortgages and in early parts of their career are saving less just to keep up with a higher cost of living. So I think maybe that's where this, you know, none of these measures are completely perfect. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Annoyed both sides of the...
0: Yeah, well, you do. You <laughs> just, just had a fight there. with everyone, picked a fight. <laughs> Damn you, Bermans. Damn you, it's young people. Wednesday. Um, yeah, like, and I just took this one photograph of like the... Um, the savings ratio, which shows like a big drop-off since COVID. But people yeah. were obviously spending, um, saving money during COVID. It was a perfect time, right? Like you had uh, an inability choice. to travel, an inability to spend literally anywhere other than online, um, which was good for Zoom stock for a little while, and then that <laughs> didn't work out so well. Um, so, yeah, the other thing that I'm curious... because put you, that against the S&P 500. I could do any type of tra- chart crime you want yeah. me to do, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Uh, a cu- curious question for you then do you think at this stage of the cycle do you think we'll start to see more i think I, I feel like we'll start to see more a lot more stress in small business and private businesses like meaningful i think you i mean you've seen it
1: initially focused on the property and construction sector where there was a lot of providers yeah and it's spreading into the commercial property at the moment but small businesses you know you can just go to your local cafe and you can feel the kind of stress filtering in yeah. whether the customers are still there costs price are going up staff are going up it's probably harder to get staff yeah uh, it wouldn't surprise me that's kind of good indicator of what's happening in the economy isn't it yeah, um, yeah.
0: like you said Instagram like, and everyone going to Europe is probably another yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a bit of a different one yeah but like it's I think for a lot of small businesses right now like a lot of them would have the, maybe have had their eyes closed to some of the financials over the past few yep. years and now they're waking up and they're saying wow like
1: out of your out of your own pocket back yeah. into your business yeah. yeah and this is out of shape this thing so I mean, uh, like lululemon and the big retailers are being forced to discount mm. i'm sure
0: smaller retailers are are as well and you see this in like the brokerage space um with some of the platforms like comsec dropping their fees um to compete even self dropped drop their fees like if you just think about that from the investment lens it's probably very like strong signal to the market, like we see the weakness in the market, we're going to go after this now. Yeah. Um, had a chat with Rob from Self Wealth about this not too long ago. Um, yeah, I just feel like there's a lot of, I think if you're a venture capitalist who managed to raise money at the top, <laughs> like maybe if you raised money 18 months ago and you haven't deployed. Like, I feel like it would be happy days, a venture right? Venture capital there. fund. Yeah, venture capital fund. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Not yeah. a company that's. <laughs> no, 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 no.
1: There's some struggle down there. <laughs> so, some numbers around that. There was like 99% of uh, private business or venture capital businesses fail. But then there were some stats that said the likes of Airtree and Blackbird is much lower. Like, mm. oh, only 20% be. Have to be. of the companies they invest into.
0: But if you think about it, like they have, not just those two, but just in general, if you did raise at the right time, all of a sudden you have less. No competition. S- no competition. L- lower quality businesses going out of business because they just uh, unfortunately can't afford to keep going yep. without cheap funding. The milk
1: Run was yep. in are yep. still. That's owned by Woolies now, isn't it? Yeah,
0: great yeah. ads on the yeah. billboards in my head though. Um, but the, then you have like the... So lower competition, better deals and more flow. Yeah. So like you get this wicked combination of like in the next cycle. I don't know, this is how I'm thinking. I don't know how you think about this, but I'm not in this world, but that's what I'd be thinking about. you ready to deploy.
1: Yeah, I think, but I think it's everywhere and it's not just maybe there's great opportunity in venture mm. capital, but Small you could cap be stocks deploying in property in the next, you know, even just looking at listed markets at the moment. Um, there's massive discounts to NTA in mm. listed markets, but commercial property, you're going to see you already are all kinds of deals for people that have cash and, and can take a 5, 10-year view, not a 6, 12, two mm. year view. Oh, absolutely. Because dislocations occur when things like bond yields hit 4%. I think this is like a part of the cycle that a lot of people forgot about. Yeah. <laughs> But the uh, the most share markets haven't responded really all that much yet.
0: No, they haven't, and that's what that's why the, the bond yields are really interesting. Because like, if you have the choice of a government bond over stocks for ten years, four point five percent, it's it's a pretty good deal. Definitely, yeah. at least for a portion. Yeah, a portion. You wouldn't go all oh, nothing just in case inflation continues above that. Um, and what has to go wrong for bonds to have negative returns? Yeah, you basically have to see another doubling of bond yeah. yields
1: from four and a half to nine. That's just a guess, but mm. um, to have it, to lose all the income that you're going to get from those bonds.
0: Mm. Uh, conscious of time here, Drew, but um came out He'll with never, a blockbuster he, deal. He's <laughs> never conscious, conscious of time. <laughs> Um, ProMedicus came out with a big deal. I'm going to bring it up. Just say thank you to Claude Walker from uh, A Rich Life for uh, pointing me to so this. I got about 15 notifications on my phone, but didn't look at any of them until the end of the day. That big a deal, though. Is well, it just the confidence that comes with another major contract? Well, it's the confidence that comes with a 10 year deal. I think that's the key thing here. Yeah. Like a lot of the deals that they sign are like five, seven years. This was a big deal in Texas. Um, ProMedicus being the medical imaging company from Victoria. actually spoke to Sam the other day via email. Sam, if you're listening, I will get back to you. (laughs) So uh, Sam being the co-founder and CEO. um, Signed a 10-year contract with Bayer Scott uh, and White Health in Texas. Um, It's a $140 million deal over 10 years. Now, you're right. ProMedicus has hundreds of millions of dollars already baked in over the next few years. Yeah. But the 10-year the deal at this stage of the cycle, what it means is like people have been really pleased with ProMedicus because it's always seemed like it's 18 months to two years ahead of the competition in terms of technology. And despite being the most expensive, all the hospitals keep signing up with them. Yeah. Um, and they basically don't lose tenders for these hospitals. But what this basically says is it probably squashed a lot of fears that people have around or investors have around. Well, has the competition caught up? Like has Fuji caught up? Have all these others caught up with you? To so then get a ten-year deal, huge, yeah, massive, and for the full stack um, for all the products, basically, is like that's just a massive endorsement of the business. Is it overvalued? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Would I buy it today? What, what,
1: what growth company is not
0: Well, that's it. Um, and I
1: think this is a reminder: and growth, earnings growth, revenue growth, cash flow growth. When interest rates are going up, it is actually more important. You know, they talk about growth companies being bad in high interest rate environments, but if you're actually growing earnings, that's hard to come by in mm. this type of economic environment. So it just become more and more valuable. Likewise, yeah. CSL in any recession or difficult period tends to outperform.
0: Yeah. It, it, the, the thing we, what you're alluding to is there's like a, there's two sides to this. There's a one where you get, your shares get sold off because your valuation is higher. Yeah. But, as long as it grows through the cycle, then you get the uplift when you come out the you other end. A, you get a PE
1: yeah. re-rating at some point.
0: Yeah, and that's the that's the difference. So it might be short-term volatility for sure, but let's be honest, like premedicus is extremely expensive Like they're, by all conventional metrics, but it is a great business. Absolutely, it's one of the best in the ISX. That's why it is so expensive.
1: We've got inflation data coming out today too.
0: Yeah, um, what time is it's that right? drop? So it'll have to be next week's. We're, going to record, we're recording this about 11 a.m., so... Um, what time does it come out? I think
1: it's usually two, one or two.
0: Yeah, right. Okay, So we'll find out more, but that will be a big tell for what happens with the market. Um, there was, There is still fears that interest rates may go higher here.
1: Yeah, there are, I mean, it's easy to write that, isn't
0: it? Well, it is. Yeah, it is. So it's a scary thing. The, when I did a poll on Twitter the other day, the number one thing that people were scared of- X. X, So, yeah. Formerly known as Twitter. Uh, the number one thing that investors were worried about? Uh, inflation. inflation. Yeah. Not like recession generally, or not house prices. It was inflation.
1: And That's kind of you've seen that in so Qantas and in Air New Zealand. You probably saw this week. Qantas has its own issues. Oh yeah. But oh. they warned of about a two hundred million dollar hit from higher oil prices. Hmm. So we, you know, oil prices are good for the energy sector, but they're bad for every other part of the economy. Hmm. And part of the driver of inflation falling off was energy prices falling at the same time. But now you have got U.S. You know, I think nearly ninety dollars a barrel for oil again. And Air New Zealand refused to provide uh, uh, forecasts because they didn't know the the entire impact of aviation fuel and and energy costs on their business. Hypothetical. But promised not to. um, They did promise not to increase their uh, flight prices, I believe.
0: (laughs) Here's a hypothetical for you. Yeah. A pre-prepared or an extra (laughs) one? No, this is an extra one. Would you rather (laughs) be the CEO of Qantas right now? Like, bada bing, bada boom. You walk out of the studio, you're the CEO. Qantas and New Zealand.
1: I think Qantas because there's only one <laughs> one way you can go from here. Take off. <laughs> yeah, you can only go up from here. <laughs> I don't know about that. That's just some famous. I last you want to know? If there's anything left in the cupboard? Um, <laughs> but because uh, I mean, it couldn't be much worse. And they've finally got a, someone. I think CSLA put a sell on them this week. They've had energy prices going up. The CEOs moved on. They had misleading, deceptive conduct. They've uh, allegation uh, proof and and the High Court Fair Work. Uh, decision as well. So, I, yeah. But I I did buy a zip when it was falling. So, maybe I'm just that person attracted to a falling knife.
0: Actually, yeah, we did. I did send Drew a few screenshots this week of like how bad- Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> yeah, I was already our, having a bad day. <laughs> some of our investments are gone, not just yours, but mine as well. Um, you can only just sit back and just, you know, we've, we've all got a bad habit for those growth stocks. Yeah, but
1: you just like something that's falling and it feels like you can save it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you you actually came to the table, I think, this week with hypotheticals. I did put some hypotheticals in. Yeah, normally I'd give you the hypotheticals. So, what you get, okay, you read the first one and then I'll read the second one. You go.
1: 200, there's drugs in here? Sorry.
0: Yeah, sorry, um, go for it. <laughs> Uh,
1: So I thought an interesting one, and we'll try to go off outside the golden rules that I always talk about, which is what are the two investing rules? I had three or four, but I think just narrow it down to two. Two investing rules you live by Mm. every day.
0: Core and satellite, for sure. Uh, First of all, being the core is like low-cost, boring, diversified strategies. Yeah. Um, But also appropriately managed, I think that's the big thing. The second thing in the satellite would be like the higher risk. Most people that listen to the show are going to buy individual shares. Uh, Our research tells us that over 80% of us already do, own individual shares that listen to this show. So, um, most of us do that, but just have a a balance, like know what's in your core and what's in your satellite. Just have that very simple thing. You do that with clients. You have um, strategic asset allocation, and they might come to you with existing portfolios that they just do not want to sell. How do you manage that, for example? But what's your number one? My number one is think global. We're, we tend to, uh, mm. I don't know, so many clients and people we talk to tend to be too
1: focused on buying Aussie shares. Yeah, frank credits are great, but mm. the quality of businesses overseas, mm. I'd much be preferring to buy Apple over zero, for instance, not mm. saying either hey. company is bad. Um, <laughs> but as a comparison, it, it just doesn't compare. And yeah. even the valuations are completely you know different. Yeah, no, that's um, true Let's think global. And maybe that's just, you know, uh, rote learning, having yeah. to explain it so many times to people. And probably similar to yours, it's in investing. It's and not or, like there's no simple rule that works mm. for everyone. And it's it can be core and satellite, as you said. It can be value and growth. It can be ETFs yeah. and funds and stocks. Yeah, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Mm. Um, That's so we, true. Sometimes we get too stuck in this. In this, we only do
0: it one way. Mm. So global, and and. I like it. And (laughs) my second one would be um, so, if my first one is like the core and satellite approach, generally speaking, the second one would be automation. Like, if you're a self directed investor, if you're early in your journey, or even if you're experienced, just use automated features to your benefit. Like, I don't, even as a finance guy, I can tell you the last thing I want to do on my Saturday morning is sit down in a spreadsheet and go over my budget and see where my money needs to go. I'd rather just automate it once and just let it run. Like
1: rebalancing. It's not automatic for us, but the decision framework is automatic. Yeah. And then we go implement it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the other one that you had, which was a hypothetical. Now, I've given my answers here, but I'm going to go through yours first. Is what is the weirdest investment you have ever owned? Outside of a bar. Which is not weird. It's a chicken farm.
1: Did you own a chicken farm? Yeah. What? We still own a, a series of chicken farms. Do you really? Yeah. Or poultry farms. Don't call it chicken because then you <laughs> relate poultry to. <laughs> <laughs> so you own chicken farms? That's been one of the most successful investments. Probably one of the most successful too. Uh, so, what? like an agricultural property trust, yeah, that owns poultry farms. Ah. Yeah, like an old sale and lease back from a major chicken provider, where you own the property only, you don't take on the seasonal risk. That would be the weirdest one. So okay. I think. So you. And so it was the underlying cards? property.
0: It was the underlying property.
1: Yeah. Ah, cool. Okay. Farms, chickens. I actually didn't prepare for my own question.
0: You couldn't tell from that <laughs> answer, but it is true. That's fine. It's fine. We're all happier because you did uh, share it. My, t- I've got. You've got drugs. Can you? Explain no, on no, that? no. I said. So in my notes, I always prepare for these. <laughs> 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 prepare so deeply. I spend years preparing for each weekly episode. Um, now, when I was at eighteen or nineteen, when all my mates were probably at, having a bit of a wild night, I was trying to rack up all the old Pokemon cards that my mates didn't want anymore. So I remember one night I was driving around my old Mitsubishi Magna, like had this old, it wasn't that bad, but I had this old banged up joint and I was driving around and I went to my mate, who I know were like big Pokemon card collectors back in the day. And um, I said to him, do you want to sell these? Because I didn't really have that much of an interest in them, but I knew that Pokemon cards in the future would be worth more than they are today. This was before I knew about investing. I was just like, I feel like this thing, is pretty good and so i ended up spending 250 bucks on like imagine you have like a big stack of pokemon cards someone puts down the table in front of you i'm talking like they would have been like you know 30 centimeters tall like a few different stacks just random pokemon cards and i knew in amongst that there'd be some good ones anyway i spent about 250 bucks about uh when i was 19 something like that 20. pre-franking credits pre-franking credits um and i I was looking at, it and then I realized the other day when I was going through them, because Kate's telling me I should sell them now, otherwise they're worthless. Um, I have a couple in there, like Charizard, which for those geeks like me would know that that's like the card to have. Sure. I don't know you got basketball cards. <laughs> I got Pokemon cards. Shows like how we grew up, nerd. <laughs> so, so the Imagine Charizard, that. the Charizard's probably like anywhere between five hundred and thousand dollars. This one that I've got. Correct like, to you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> And I got that as part of the pack, but I also got about $3,500 $3, worth of other stuff in this pack. Um, so I did the numbers. That would be a go of about, about 23% <laughs> on my original capital or a 14- of it. How you? Yeah, it's about- th- from new were 19, so what It's about it 13 years. years ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Two months ago. That, but it's about a 14 bagger for me. So that was the, probably the most Unusual investment that I'd made. Um, it's not really that. Like collectibles are a pretty well worn thing. It's definitely an the alternative bucket. But I'll give you another one. This was not an investment in terms of like financials. In terms of like human capital. When I was young, like growing up on the farm, from like I would say I said nine to fourteen in my notes, but it's probably like younger than that. To be honest, like my parents not forced me, but they basically said like if you want money, you go to, you go and get it, right? And we lived on a flower farm where we sold proteas, waratars, these types of flowers that you get as cut flowers. Yeah. Pretty hard work because it was like basically lived on a cliff. So <laughs> trying to cart all those up was pretty tough. But mum would drive me up and we lived near this tourist destination. I would go and sell the flowers. And I would bring in maybe 150, 250 bucks cash. Have to f- pay away a bit of that for my transportation um but this was at the time when my mates and my friends would have been making 200 bucks for three days work or yeah. whatever you know at that time so i was like rolling in it and <laughs> buying I, pokemon cards i, I basically oh, it earlier yeah. Yeah, yeah but this was basically what i was doing is i was like taking something that i had in uh, abundance and then using it and finding the value prop and then selling it the hardest pit was um the imposter syndrome i didn't feel like i could sell something that i'd created but then this the other thing that eventually shut down this enterprise, kind of like the Buffett pinball machines, but I didn't have the the ability to kind of masquerade and say that there's someone else behind the scenes, like a big like a bikie or something like this. Actually, the council closed me down because <laughs> all the shop owners in the first town first experience with the regulator. <laughs> yeah, that's it. All the all the um, shops in the town complained about me because I was taking some of their. And you were tourist. selling
1: to that. You were selling to their clients. It, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just setting
0: up with my like my little posies and my flowers, and I was selling it, and I was making good money. Yeah, <laughs> and then you're selling to them <laughs> yeah. at three times higher. Yeah, and yeah. Big Candy didn't want me to have <laughs> like a slice of their wallet. So yeah, they um, you know what they say? Friction is the best destination for um, multi baggers. Well, that's where it was, but that was probably it, mate. So you got chicken. I've got. Flowers and Pokemon cards. (laughs) Definitely (laughs) weird. Definitely weird. Okay. First question that we've got today comes from Fashion Film. This applies to all people that write in a question. You can ask a question by going to your podcast player, or if you're on YouTube, just drop down into the description. There's a thing that says, ask a question. Select the Australian Investors Podcast. Uh, Drew, Dr. Andrew Deremuth, or myself will answer your questions weekly. We don't always get to all of them, but we do really appreciate you sending them in and the messages bonus points, go to anyone that has a funny name. If you are the funniest name of the week we select you, you get a pass to the Value Investor Program. It's about $500 worth of uh, investor training in your pocket for free. Just remember, all of the answers to questions are strictly general in nature. We don't know your personal circumstances. Please see a financial planner, like say Drew here from Waddle Partners or anyone at the Waddle Partners team for that matter, or you can head to moneysmart.gov.au and search for a financial advisor there. Um, Also, if we do mention things like ETFs or Read the product disclosure statement, would you? Okay, Fashion Phil says, hi Owen. This one's directly to me, um, but we can both weigh in on this. I'm genuinely considering changing careers from healthcare to finance. Don't know what area specifically, but intend to figure it out as my knowledge of the industry grows. I have explored a master's degree in applied finance as a formal starting point. In your experience, can you speak about some of the pathways or offer any advice in getting into the finance industry, particularly investing. By the way, I'm 38 with three young kids, so it is a big deal. Definitely. That is a big deal. Drew, what do you think?
1: I mean, tough question. <laughs> it's a tough I one. Mean the,
0: I mean, the first thing you can do, which is probably what you're
1: looking yeah. at, is you're staying in your current career while you're training for mm-hmm. a new one, and you can do a lot of the study that you're talking about uh, separate to like outside of work hours. Yeah. So I think that's pretty important to kind of- consider that but there's so, and you'll expand on it there's so many pathways i know one i went into financial advice yeah. and that was basically it is more challenging now than it has been you have to have a related mm. degree uh or an experience pathway so getting into financial advice is probably significantly different to getting into investments yeah um, i think so i think true. you almost have to go back to the same to do a degree as a new entrant now compared to yeah uh, what it used to be in the past um but I think the 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 basic and where you'd start is what you've talked about and i'm going to steal that which is the you know applied finance to get a basic understanding of of yeah. the the environment in australia and then there's so many options like i tried sitting the cfa but that's well beyond i think you need a you know five ten years experience before you even consider mm. going to that level and yeah. then it's all about annoying people until you get a foot in the door somewhere <laughs> yeah that's a good one yeah <laughs> so i think people you, uh, most groups will struggle to uh employ a graduate in an investment position and essentially you know you'd be a graduate going into the industry yeah so how do you how do you find a niche and and getting your study done first and then starting to get experience maybe there's a link between Mm. healthcare and you know you start approaching healthcare uh, funds yeah healthcare funds or or even uh managers that have healthcare stocks within them and and kind of find a niche within that to get a foot in the door Mm. i think you've got a better far better answer than i
0: do no, no, no. I think that's really good. I think that's that's a good point. Like You have um, a certain skill set and definitely don't test the water with both feet. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, having to go back and study and do all that again would I don't know, just give me the shivers, I think. But um, if I'm being honest, like a, a lot of what we are taught is that um, you should get these qualifications and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The problem that you have, particularly with investing, Drew, I feel like is like 90% of it is just not usable. Like Most of it just gets you a seat at the table, yeah. like for most, of,
1: which is unfortunate. Yeah. A lot of the education system is about getting the degree yeah, that tickets, literally right? is a f- seat at the table and not actually determines how you whether your career is a success or not.
0: And by the time this young, we'll say fella, or he's a male pronoun, Phil, um, f- before this young fella gets... Um, a job, which is two years, if they're going to do the masters, maybe three if they do it part time. Yeah, we're probably going to see a bit of friction in the industry and a bit of change between now and then. Like the way it's going is, it's getting more difficult to get into the investing roles. Um, I think we're going to see a wave of financial planners into the market over the next five to ten years. Yeah, which will be fantastic. Um, so, just in terms of study, I I, I studied active funds, so professional funds management businesses, uh, a few years ago, quite a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago, and there's a link um, available on the RASC website. Just Google Fin, M-A-P-P-F-I-N versus CFA, and you'll see it come up on the RASC website. Uh, And I basically wanted to find out like, what did people study to get into these roles? And what I found is the Bachelor of Commerce is by far the most common. Obviously, you'd expect that. But um, the CFA is a role that The CFA is a qualification- Chartered financial analyst. Chartered financial analyst. It's the hardest one to do. Global. Yeah, it's a global thing. It can take you anywhere in the world, basically. In some countries, like say the UK, the CFA has pushed pretty hard to make it the default standard of advice giving for investing, um, which I don't agree with. Um, And then in Australia, however, the Masters of Applied Finance is probably the- That's what I did. um, And I did the Masters of Financial Planning with that. Um, I'll explain why in a sec. But that's probably what i do. Um, those two, I wouldn't do the CFA straight away. If you if you've done a Bachelor of Commerce, go and do the CFA Level One because it's very familiar ground to you. It'll be hard still, but go and do it. Um, the thing that I don't like about the CFA, well, there's many things I don't like about it. I have a lot of respect for people who do it, but you can be you can expect to spend a thousand hours of study, honestly. And the people that pass the first time around, because um, it's not based on or anything like that. It's based on your cohort. Whether you pass or not, it's not based on what score you get. It's what the cohort does. Um, And so they deliberately try and trick you. They teach things in unnecessarily complex ways. Like some of the derivative stuff I found was unnecessarily complex. And I think it's just because the CFA Institute was trying to be original and have their own textbooks and whatever. I failed all that. Um, Actually, I didn't mind the derivatives, but I just think it was just ridiculous. Um, Black skulls. uh, like a lot of the theories that we have in finance are invented by people who need to get a PhD in finance. And then we take that as like the default standard, but no one ever uses it. No. And so- It's all I'll, Yeah. I'll give you some things um, here. I, I, I think like this is the way I would do it if I was doing it again. And I've got a list here and I'll apologize if it sounds like I'm reading it off because I am. So- <laughs> I <can't> apologize. <laughs> <laughs> but here's my list. So if I was doing it all over again, this is what I'd do. I would go and I would go into the starter pack that I've created. It's on my Twitter bio. Um, It just takes you through some of the things. Some of it's a bit outdated, but I put together a starter pack for people that want to move into this industry. Um, Just remember, some of it's a little bit outdated. I will update it in the next year or so. Number two is I would read the Amazon and Constellation software letters. So from Mark Leonard and Jeff Bezos annual letters, go and read them. Just read one a week. They're not that bad. Compared to the Buffett letters, which were really technical, like just go and read those. I would read five business books before I decide if it's right for me. If I was going to read the investing side of things, this is what I'd go with. The Little Book That Beats the Market, um, it's the book that might be famous for the magic formula. It introduces you to quantitative analysis of financial statements, very basic though. Uh, The second book is uh, The Last Liberal Art by Robert Hagstrom. It teaches you to be worldly. The third book is not to do with finance or investing at all but it relates to the way our brains work which is influence the psychology of persuasion by robert cialdini um to give you an idea of this book charlie munger's the misjudgment of human psychology or whatever he called it human misjudgment was actually based on the findings of cialdini yeah so to give you an example of how important this book is um Guerrilla Game, Investing in High Technology, if you're interested in uh, technology and fast-growing companies. And finally, there's a book called, it doesn't get much airtime these days. It's by Bruce Greenwald. It's called Value Investing and actually surveys like five to 10 uh, different investors in their approach uh, and what they have in common. So those are the books that I'd read. I'd listen to the last five years of the Berkshire Hathaway annual meetings because that will give you an understanding of how the two greatest investors, arguably the two greatest investors that have ever lived deal with these things. Um, self-promotion, but the, the, our Value Investor Program is great for someone like this. If you haven't already taken the Value Investor Program, just shoot me a message and I'll give you a coupon code to get it cheap. But it's actually applied learning. Follow Brian Feroldi on Twitter. Next one. <laughs> Bit of a random. Yeah, he's brilliant for investment commentary. He will maybe appear on the show again soon. The next one is read for 15 minutes a day for the next three months and see if you can do that. I know you've got three kids. The Farnham Street blog by Shane Parrish. Um, there's a mental models page. If you just go through them one by one, you'll understand the world better as well of investing. At this point, I would reassess. <laughs> At this point, <laughs> it's four years later, I would reassess. This is probably three or four months in, at this point, I would reassess my life (laughs) and where (laughs) I want to go. (laughs) What if someone recommended I do? (laughs) And then I would go, do I still want to continue down this path? Because you've probably learned a lot of the major nuggets of wisdom from our industry And the next steps is what, to your point, I would take the Kaplan Masters of Applied Finance. The Macquarie one is the better, higher standard one, Mm -hmm. but you've got to study on Saturdays is my understanding. Maybe there's an online option now. Yeah. But I want Saturdays in my life. So maybe you do too. So the Kaplan one, you can also marry with um, a Masters of uh, Financial Planning. I'll get to that in a second. But you can also just buy the CFA textbooks rather than doing the course. Um, The CFA textbook that I think would complement the Kaplan course is the financial statement and analysis textbook for someone that hasn't done finance before, because it will teach you about accounting principles. I've um, got a copy at home if you want it. <laughs> get a signed <laughs> copy. <laughs> <laughs> Just says good luck on the inner cover. Um, so I would, if I was in the finance industry, this is where I want to tie in with you. If I was in the finance, if I was thinking of con- contemplating going to the finance industry, I would definitely study financial planning in some way, shape, or form. I, I reckon would, it's
1: a good entry. Like being face to face with a client, and then you're actually exposed to all the parts of investment, all the parts of the industry, absolutely. which is good and bad. Like every day we have fund managers telling us, you know, what macro outlook is, what type of funds, you, and how do you build
0: portfolios. So, yeah, but if you think about it, even if you think about like most, this is why I made that comment to you a few weeks ago. I was like, most people in finance don't actually understand finance. No. Because at uni, we get taught about like, efficient portfolio calculations. Not like, oh, and this is what superannuation is, and did you know inside super it's just ETFs and managed funds? Yeah. Well, that's what it is. And here's is what a managed fund is. You don't really get taught that stuff. You get taught like all these calculations based on finance theory that you never use again, um because the computer does it for you. Supply demand, <laughs> so, econometrics, yeah. medians. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Excel, trend line, thanks. Uh, <laughs> Like, like I'm being realistic here. Like, financial planning is more worldly. Yeah. And I think every a finance person- spread. You end up doing insurance, super investments. Absolutely. How it all connects. Yeah. You should have at least, everyone that does a finance degree should have at least a minor in financial planning. And so, I would do that because you'll, at the very least, even if you hate the course, at least you'll know how to manage your finances. <laughs> so, um, that's what I would do. And I think that also prepares you for a future where- Investment markets and invest and jobs in the investing industry might be extremely hard to come by. Don't you think? Like I feel like they're going to be harder to come by in the future. Not uh, sorry to put anyone off. Like the jobs that people want today. I think AI be- is taking over a lot of
1: jobs in whether it's in research or whether it's in mm. analysis as well. There will always be people uh, required to to kind of run those systems. But I mean, most of the wealth management forward-looking white papers suggest there'll be 30 percent attrition of, of yeah. wealth managers in the next five to ten years. So yeah,
0: um, it's kind of like what. Online broking did to stockbrokers. Yeah, right. Like they still exist, but and I think it's not many you're probably them.
1: more accessible as a as an older graduate getting into advice
0: than you probably are in investments. Uh, people would be yeah, people would be so uh, grateful to have that experience outside of finance. Yeah, I think that's one of the key advantages that someone like this has. Finally, the number one piece of feedback that I always have for people going for jobs in this industry is do something out of the ordinary. And the easiest way to do that is to start a Twitter slash X account and interact with people to start a blog but do not give financial advice do not go out there and be like buy hold sell but just write and journal what you find like oh well i researched this company and it does this this is its business model then i looked at this company and did this business model and then follow the fund managers or the financial advisors that you like and just interact with them yeah, exactly. That's the way to stand out, not through Having a different opinion, degree. Go or, turn up at events and annoy people. Yeah, ask questions. It. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. just be that person and get noticed. And that's what would uh, be the number one piece of advice. Bit hard when you got kids, but just do it and learn. Um, yeah. So that's it. So this is a good one for you, Drew, because I didn't really know the answer to this next question. It's you from take I will <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. Um, hopefully, between the two of us, we can come up with a four out of ten um, takeaway family pack for one, please. That's the name of the questioner, says, hi, Drew and Owen. I was not surprised when you said one of the common questions on your roadshow was on investing as a couple or getting your partner to save and invest. It is, indeed. So can I ask you the opposite? What should singles be doing to get a leg up in investing? It seems like everyone's geared towards families. No super spouse contribution, no way to invest in a lower earning partner's name, no tax breaks for singles, no expense sharing, e.g. like rent-mortgage, is there anything singles can take advantage of? As as long as it is not finding a partner, <laughs> I'd appreciate some realistic general advice, please. What options do singles have? Uh, I mean, there, there's some family benefits, and that's
1: like the income streaming. Uh, but most things are, uh, I think, most structures and superannuation, all the other things are still available to singles. I think there's nothing outright and there's definitely a Mm uh subsidization of families in in multiple different ways whether it's in the form of childcare or not yeah Uh, but i think it's incredibly difficult um like even renting you know a single a single rental single income trying to rent at the same time is incredibly difficult so yeah um especially if you've got dependents yeah exactly we said no dependents here
0: yeah i'm assuming no dependents here because they haven't said anything about family they said everything's geared towards families
1: yeah all you can do is try and you know get started and take the right steps and invest aggressively yeah you know, my accountant often tells me you know when you're trying to find interesting deductions <laughs> just pay the tax <laughs> it means your income is going up yeah like just accept that you can't hide it in different entity structures or or get extra you know deductions here and there just yeah. accept that that's the that's the i know the the guardrails or the guidelines and and then just as you as you've always said automate as much as you can invest aggressively use structures that are available to you because superannuations the same treated the same as everyone yes you can't switch contributions around um and it and it's i know what you're going to say first but that's a pretty tough one to start with too oh
0: yeah get a better job
1: <laughs> <laughs> i've conjured my inner charlie I mean, Munger there's for another that. One there, which is like <laughs> if if it's if it's income driven you need more income well maybe it is that side hustle is it is it, I mm. hate talking about it, but are there other, you know, are there different things you could be doing on the side that can bring in an income that you can direct towards investments? Mm. Um, is it mm. consulting? Is it, you know, selling things online? Is it drop shipping? Is it, no, I don't do any of these things. <laughs> <laughs> is it creating an app? But that, that's kind of the how do you find additional income sources rather than how do yeah. you deal with the end of the funnel?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, just thinking out loud here, I think the one thing that folks would have if you're a single, without dependents, This is my key asterisk because we don't know. Without dependence, you probably have more time than someone (laughs) who has dependence or is in a couple. And I'm just being realistic. Yeah. On average, you probably do. Yeah. Sure, you might have a wonderful social life. But for the most part (laughs) You probably have more time, which gives you more flexibility. It's like we're grossly generalising. Unprepared for to answer this question. <laughs> no, but I feel like so. I I, I think about this a lot because I get a lot of pushback on this saying that I have is that the world is built for couples. The yeah. finance world is built for couples. Yeah, it's and people do tend to push back and say, "Hey, I'm single," and I hear you. Um, but it is bill for couples. I'm just acknowledging the reality. The thing is, you can probably accept more risk. You can accept more risk. You probably don't need as much as insurance. Yep. That's probably the big thing. You'll still need some insurance, but you probably don't need as much because you're not worried about that sort of thing. Yeah, so you can go hard. Like yep.
1: if you're buying a property, you can you can probably be comfortable leveraging more. You yep. can probably take more risk. You can probably take a, a longer term view. As long um, as you have insurance.
0: Yeah. Yeah, as long as you have your emergency fund. These types of things. Um, the other thing is, Yeah, you mentioned that you can't do like mortgage and shared expenses, but maybe you can. What I mean by that is maybe you can do a flatmate situation. I'm not saying forever, but so like, yeah, if you own a house, maybe you can rent out a room or get international students in and therefore you end up with a situation where some of your expenses are costed out. Uh, If you're renting, maybe you can find someone that will share those costs with you for a limited time. Yeah. while you, for example, study to try and get a pay rise or move through your career. Uh, another thing that you can probably do, which is at your advantage is, and I'm just trying to be realistic here, is you may be able to do more things like overtime. And you said side hustles, these yeah. types of things. Those are things that may be possible for you. And the end piece is just invest. Oh, everyone's other. got to invest. Talk- yeah. We're talking about how do
1: you maximize your income to do that.
0: The harsh reality here is the big one, the big... Rock in the room is something that is undeniably difficult. Um, which is property. Yeah, it is so bloody hard to buy a property, even as a couple, let alone as a single. So you, you, in this instance, don't know circumstances, but you almost certainly will have to compromise on location, on quality, on a house. Maybe it's an apartment, on distance to work. These types of things. Um, I, you know we're generalizing here but one of the things that you may be able to do is you may be able to work remote more than in the office or something like this you may be able to buy a property without having to cater for kids
1: well, there's a good article I think it was on animal spirits as well wealth of common sense that said oh, ben, like yeah. there's like a 100 I think there's multiple cities where you where you're actually better off renting yeah yeah given the cost and impact on your income
0: yeah absolutely there are there, that's in the US uh, yeah and like let's be honest like it you, financially, you can be happier as a single. It's, there's no question. Like you can, um, you can be strategic in the way that you work, in the way, in where you work. You have more flexibility and autonomy around where you live. Um, you probably don't need as much insurance, although you should still have some. I'm going to keep iterating that point. Um, you also can set your own goals and priorities. Yeah. Whereas in a relationship, you often have to compromise on goals. You also have to compromise on the other person's bad habits. With money. So there are a lot of things that work in your favor. Um, It's a hard one, but I would say, like, if you just think about property as the big rock, they say four to five times your income is what you can borrow. So that's probably your upper ceiling in terms of the property accessibility question. and that's where I would go with. But I hope that's added some costs. Just try and find a negative and turn it into a positive. So, okay, I can't save money on rent. Well, why can't you? Maybe there is a way to do that. Maybe there is a way to get someone in or rent with someone else. Um, Maybe because you don't have the extra income, maybe you can invest more in your current career to get ahead faster than the person that goes and has kids or goes overseas or meets a partner and is distracted from work. That's your opportunity not your weakness. Anyway, let's get on. Um partners patterns are distractions from work. Not at all. Not, <laughs> definitely not. Sophia from the UN says, this is coming to you live from Sophia. She's now in my brain. Um, I am in my 40s. I thought Sophia was ageless. Um, I've been... This is a bloody great question, actually, Sophia. So thanks for sending this in. Um, I'm in my 40s. I've been on the FIFO bandwagon, fly in, fly out. No, I don't think it's first in, first out. I don't think it's an accounting standard. CFA charter holders will get that joke. No one else will care. Um, I mean, I've been on the FIFO bandwagon for nearly 20 years. I've paid off the house, bought a bunch of toys, cards that have actually gone up in value. That's interesting. And I'm debt-free. I've loaded up my super over four hundred and fifty. I think it's meant to say $1,000. Um, and I'm now loading up the share portfolio, including ETFs and individual companies. What's next? How do I set myself up and my family for the future so that I can escape the FIFO trap. Don't stuff it up. Don't <laughs> stuff it up. And end of podcast. Thanks. Mic drop. <laughs> but this is a true thing. Like when you, anyone that uh, lives in Adelaide or Perth in particular, yep. will know you go to the airport and there's hundreds and thousands <laughs> of people lining fly up, and fly, fly, fly and fly out, Virgin and Qantas making it. They're jam. You doing
1: 100 percent the right thing, which is just adding money to mm. you know, set up passive income streams that'll take care of you for the rest of your life, essentially. Yeah. One would be if you're not getting advice, get advice and real and find out how much you are you'll actually need to live the lifestyle that you want. Yep. And then you'll get to a point, that's what we do a lot, which is so many people come in with more than enough than they need and l- hate their jobs, hate not necessarily flying flight, but all kinds of careers. Mm. And then once they realise that they've got enough, work changes. Mm. You don't find it as stressful and, and you have more freedom and you enjoy the rest of your career. So it's finding out what that dollar figure is. Then you've got a strategy to work to. If you're already there, well, that's probably the more challenging question is what do you do then? Yeah, what do you do next? Um, and maybe it's it's a career change. It's But basically, you're in a strong position. And when we say don't stuff it up, we're, we're serious. There's many ways to stuff it up, you know. Mm tax driven investments, you know, you start thinking about saving tax rather than the quality and quality of an investment, taking on too much, you know, leverage. Doing things that investment properties. Exactly. Yeah. Just adding uh, you know, just the small things that are that make sense generally, but when you're in the in the context of the moment tend to tend to be forgotten. I mean leverage is a big one. Yeah. Why take and that's a big form of risk. Why take more than you need to?
0: Yeah. Get advice now would be a good that's probably where I should have started. But I actually thought, here's my simple but not easy answer, is uh, just start living the life you want. Yeah. Because I'm assuming, they said, set myself and my family up. If you've got a family, I don't know about anyone else, but my preference is not flying and fly out. Yeah. Like I wouldn't want to be away for, let's call it seven out of 14 days or whatever yeah. the, the, the situation is. So I would be s- assessing right now, either with a financial planner and your partner or just by yourself, just literally sitting down right now as you hear this podcast, what life do I want to live? How important is spending time with my family? And does my job meet that requirement? Because you are now at a point where you have not complete financial independence by the sounds of it, but you're very close to it. So you probably don't need to continue down this path for very long to live the life you want to live now. And if you don't have debt, one of the beautiful things about not having debt is you can go, well, I'm not going to work this job anymore. I'm going to go take half the pay, but live the life that I want. Yeah. And that might, sure, that might not financially be the golden rule might not be like the 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 golden opportunity that you have but that might not be that important to you what might be important to you right now is if you're in your 40s kids might be in their 10 you know 10 years old in their early teens being there for them exactly so i think it's great to get to where you are get some advice or just sit down and reflect on this with by yourself with your partner i would set myself a goal if family was really important to not be in fifo within two years yeah go and gouge as much money as you can from the mining system and then get out yeah. and, and find, a, find yeah. something else. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Great question and good on you for getting that far in. Colin Davis, Want to Get Rask Portfolios says, <laughs> hi, I finished the ETF beginners course. That was the question. That's now leave fanta- a review on Google, please. <laughs> yeah. I'll do it for you. Yeah. Now, that's congrats, Colin. Please now um, leave us a review on Google but share, share the love and uh, give back to the communities around you. Thanks for shouting that out. Colin, if you, uh, if, you, if you did complete the ETF beginners course, write into us, we'll give you a, a pass to the other courses for free, well done to you. So uh, one final question here, Drew, comes from hard times equals hard men, <laughs> easy times equals dot, 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 entitled kids. So the question is a wonderful one, which is something we've spoken about with Jamie before. If someone wanted to invest in two ETFs that tracked two indices, just like the ASX 200 or the S&P 500, for example, and hold on to these for life, then pass these on to their kids to then hold on for their life, what would need to be considered with a handover from father to son and daughter, for example, tax or transfer costs? Besides education, are there any strategies you would suggest to avoid creating little entitled buggers? <laughs> Don't give it to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, here's one.
1: <laughs> give it to us. <laughs> I mean, it's just open conversations about money, isn't yeah. it? Like you can answer the tax question. That's pretty straightforward, which is when you transfer it, you're going to have to pay capital gains tax on that transfer. There's there's other options like you could – some people use an investment bond, which we've probably talked about before, which is a tax paid mm-hmm. entity. You can put in their name, but then they get taxed punitively. Um, but I think in creating them, it's having more open conversations about money. With yeah. whether it's with partners or with children, so like we, the amount of people we meet that don't understand the the level of inheritance, they, like the, the wealth that their parents already have, or the position that they're in. So it's how mm. do you? That's not education. That's just transparency. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I'm going to push back on one point you just said there actually, which is that um, I think you can transfer to the children assets if they're held in their beneficial name. So just the legal owner changes. Get tax advice. But I think you can set it up so that basically the ha- shares are held. Structure h- shares yep. are held on trust yep. for the child. But you're the legal owner, so you pay tax until they come of age, and then you do the tax transfer. on income, not on capital gains. Yeah, because then it's just a legal transfer, not a beneficial transfer. Yeah, so. That's one way, but definitely the insurance bonds for people that are wealthier. That's like a, that's probably the next. Tax paid entity. Yeah, yeah. that's the next way to go. Um, if you're on a farm, there may be different benefits for you too. Um, so that's something. But Scott Pape in his book, um, Barefoot for Kids, basically says that one of the key criteria for kids is to earn it. Like they have to earn the money. Yeah. Easy come, easy go. Or in this case, hard times equals hard men, I guess. I think that's a quote, was that? I'm going to get this wrong. Was that Kerry Buck? No. no, I thought it might have been um, Shawshank
1: Redemption or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> no, the Green Mile. As It's no. <laughs> <'Cause>, uh, <laughs> Falling
0: flat here. <laughs> um, um, we can't reach the, the noise. Yeah, uh, it's too far away. Yeah. So, um, I actually heard a really interesting story of someone recently who got given shares. They were told, they were educated about investing as they were teenagers and as they became adults. And they got given shares between their 18th and 21st birthday. Yeah. And the father in this instance said to them, you're never getting another cent. This is your money. This is the only amount of money you will ever receive. Think about that. And that child, because they'd been educated on investing, they kept investing. Yeah. And they actually used that money as a bit of a buffer to then... um, go and freelance for the first two years of their career after they finish school. So not going straight into a career that they might hate, but actually freelance to figure out what they wanted to do. And it actually allowed them to start a business, which they loved. And so is there a way with your child, if you are setting them, so, setting them up in this way, to not just educate them, which you said, but the other thing is, is to make them feel responsible and grateful. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because unless they have some skin in the game, they're just going to, most of them, not all of them. It's generalisation, but I, I haven't. Yeah, there's the, all the studies that show after two generations, money's basically gone. Yeah, it's because we, the most important thing, like Jamie would tell us, is to pass on the education, and you always say connect with them on their level. Yeah. So,
1: I mean, my two-year-olds know how to spend. They don't know where it comes from yet, but <laughs> they're more than happy to tap away at the, <laughs> yeah. at the coffee shop.
0: Yeah, uh, my sister invested in VAS. V A S. Um, that was her choice over that. Was that or the S and P five hundred? She chose VAS. Um, good on her. Um, and so, what I'd say is, like, if this is the case, you need to educate them on the path to it, but give them that responsibility. Let them know that it's not going to become easy. It's not going to be easy come easy go, because, yeah, I mean, their balances will be going south of the border as soon as you give them the money. Yeah. So, <laughs> so don't let that happen, um, and teach them the value of money. Uh, I think if you. What I've realized in running the Australian Investors podcast and all the podcasts over many years is that when we get people to tell their stories, there are very common elements and one of them is this, Drew, and you may have experienced this too with your parents or what have you, is that children who tend to see businesses play out in real life are more likely to go and take risk and start businesses themselves. And that's not a coincidence, I don't think. We see that entrepreneurial spirit early in life and if they see the role models do that, that's what they'll emulate. They're just like a sponge, right? Yeah. May not happen all the time, but that's what I would do. And um, I'm sure if Jamie was sitting here right now, last time we had him in on q and A, Q&A, he was he was you know just into the what is it out of the fire into something <laughs> yeah. something like that. He was in the frying pan anyway. Um, he was saying that it's easier to educate kids on business, not on investing. Yeah. And if, so if you think about like the lemonade stall examples, teach The concept
1: them, of business doesn't make sense. Yeah.
0: I mean, investing doesn't necessarily make sense to young business. People. Would yeah. Lemons come in, lemonades go out. Money, money, right? <laughs> so um, that is the concept you should be trying to teach them at any age, and that's where I'd say to go with, go to, um, get advice around the tax structures that you want to sort out. Um, like confirm both Drew and I, Drew and I's opinion on this um, with a tax accountant or a financial advisor, say like Drew, uh, and then go your own way. I just think it's really important to teach you, your kids. Life goes on, and you got to manage the money appropriately. Exactly. So, Drew, you got to. I'll you. I'll select the questioner if you have the fam, the dad joke for us. I'm ready to go. Okay, I will give the the award this week. I just love this question, to be honest. Um, which was the question from takeaway family pack for one, please? You said how hard it is to be a single in the financial world we're living. Well, here's a free value investor program for you that will help you on your way. Same with you, fashion Field. Give you a second. Uh, we'll give it to you as well because I mentioned it in the. Uh, the answer to your question. It's it's a good course and I think it will be very beneficial for you in healthcare switching across. Without further ado, you can get in touch with Waddle Partners um, via waddlepartners.com.au. There's a link in the show notes. We will be in Sydney next week. Um, Dr. Andrew Deremuth is not banned from traveling to New South Wales yet, so he will be in attendance, um, as will I and as will a wonderful lineup of guests in Sydney. Tuesday night after work, it's a school night. We're not going to it's not going to be too wild. It's going to be a bit of fun. Says Drew as he kind of like nods his head a bit weird, but <laughs> to the side. Oh, are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? Um, come and say good day. Then the Waddle Partners events on the twenty sixth of October, almost sold out. Free event for retirees over forty five. Come along. Drew, take us off into the distance with the joke.
1: Sticking with finance. Ooh. Where do fish keep their money? Don't know. In a river bank.
0: <laughs> Does that even make sense? <laughs> I like it, mate. Thank Thanks you for so, listening. Thank, you, <laughs> thank you for listening. We'll just leave now. No, mate. I give that. That's a good, solid four out of ten. All right, I'll take okay, that. Well, it's Better nearly a pass. The, the normal one. So, yeah. well done, mate. Thanks for joining me. Good to see you.